filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. I just don't understand how a goal from midfield to complete a hat trick in the World Cup final is not one of the three best goals of the year, especially when one of the other three is a goal from midfield. I it it boggles my mind, and it's it, it, FIFA just burn it, shut it down, hit the reset button on the console. It's it's not okay. It's stupid. And Carly yeah. Lloyd should at least be in the finals, the finalist list for goal of the year. And she's not, and it's stupid because FIFA is stupid, and it's stupid. Well, you know why she didn't get it. I think I think we all know why. Because it's we because, use the pronoun she. Yes. Um, now, I know that I think yeah. a couple years ago, uh, a, women, a women's player for Ireland got the goal of the year. But uh, I'm she, guessing that she was nominated. I don't think she won. But in any case, I'm thinking that FIFA was like, well, we did it the one time, so, you know, for like 10 years, we can just forget about that altogether. Yeah, and, they, know, it's and like they didn't even you put, you put your ca- You put the cash in your pocket, and you go home. <laughs> That's what you do when you're at FIFA. Yeah, you're I not think I have a very. I think I have a very, like, unsophisticated view of how the corruption at FIFA works, in that I think there's not cash on a table, and you put it in your pocket, and then you walk directly out the door with the cash, possibly, like, over overflowing your pockets. There's so much cash you can't even jam it into your pockets, and then you go home, and not, like, to the luxury hotel that you are staying at. And maybe you walk. I was also thinking you just walk all the way home, which is ridiculous now that I think about it. I mean, the hotel's probably across the street. That's true. That's true. But, There's but not I a think, valet that... I think it's not a table with the money on it. I okay. think the entry foyer, when you go in like mm-hmm. the little vestibule, mm-hmm. is actually just a giant um, fan box with with probably, I guess, francs around, like okay. at a carnival. And you just walk in and whatever you grab... Is is yours? Okay, so it's it's but not it's not pre- blow, it's not blowing hard. It's just kind of blowing them up a little bit, so it's really easy. It's like an, but it's easy, but it's still not a guarantee that you're just gonna walk out with everything. Right. Like you still gotta you still gotta put in a little hustle, and maybe one one FIFA representative is is gonna be better at it than the next guy, and the next guy's gonna be like, oh, I suck at this. I've only got like fifteen thousand francs or euros or whatever it is that I'm taking home today. Exactly. Um, and the other guys will make fun of him, is, and they'll the carnival god. Yes, uh, and he he has like a sack that he just throws more in when enough when it's been depleted enough he just tosses some more in. Yeah, and Michel Platini just has a butterfly net that he carries with him everywhere he goes. No one knew what it was for until now. This is a huge expose exclusive on filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh- as always, by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from BlackAndRedUnited.com. 
that is where you can find us writing about DC United, Major League Soccer, uh, the U.S. national teams, and a lot more. We've got a good show for you tonight. MLS Cup is set. The final is this coming Sunday, and we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about some news that's happening in DC United's little corner of the universe and the broader MLS world, and we are going to play Cake or Death, as is our want this time of year. We've got three names on the list for this week. Before we do anything, though, Benjamin, what are you drinking? So, like many people, or some people, I went home to my parents' house for Thanksgiving. So that means I went to the cold, the frozen wilds of uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, my new Black Friday tradition is to go to breweries instead of going shopping or anything like that. So we brought back with us some uh, Mad Tree beers. Mad Tree, one of Cincinnati's finest breweries. And so I'm drinking their Thunder Snow, which is a uh, deep chocolatey brown ale. Not It's not quite a porter or anything like that, but it's a nice, rich brown ale. It's a good name for a beer. How is the beer itself? It's quite good. I, I had it last year when we went to Cincinnati for Thanksgiving and uh, did the same thing, and quality has been maintained year to year. Excellent. Next question. Have you ever experienced actual thunder snow? I have. Also in the frozen wilds of Cincinnati. It is a... It is a thing. It is weird and it is scary. Weird as the end of the weird world. As crap. Yep. I, I hate to inform you guys, but it has also happened here. No, it hasn't. It has. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I'll allow it. It probably didn't end with like a lot of snow for people of really most of the country by comparison yeah. to to this region. It's just not a lot of snow, but it it was thunder and snow. It just you know, it's like two inches of snow instead of a foot. Anyway, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I have a uh, a white Russian that I made with uh, Van Gogh double espresso vodka instead of regular vodka, so it's got more of a coffee flavor. Um, I did briefly think about just having double espresso vodka on the rocks because it's you can actually get away with that. It, it's a little too... Uh, syrupy and a little too sweet, I think, but you can do it. If you're in a pinch and you need caffeine and alcohol, uh, you can do that, and it's the easiest thing in the world. But it's probably not a great idea for, for well, for humans, but especially on a weeknight. Um, so I mixed it in uh, for a, uh, a pretty good white Russian. I made it with the Van Gogh website proportions, and it was like... It was like one for one for one, and then I made it, and I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't want to do this, so I added... Really like an extra shot and a half of, of vodka, and then was like, okay, now we're good. <laughs> the filibuster away. Yeah. So, so rather than just drinking a double of vodka, you're drinking a double of or triple of vodka uh, with with some Kahlua and milk. Uh, yes. It's, okay. It's, 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 um, you found a way to make it sound like you were going to drink less on a weeknight, but instead are drinking more. It's half and half if that helps. I don't okay, think it does, all right. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's somehow more decadent. Um, as, a, as a white Russian, you are definitely in the Tsar Nicholas camp and are probably not long for this world. Uh, I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> ben, if you look at the calendar, you will notice that Thanksgiving has come and gone since our last show. So I'm drinking eggnog with whiskey and nutmeg in it. Um, that's a drink I can really only do one of. It's not even like homemade 
eggnog. It's eggnog from the store. But uh, I have one of those, and when I'm done with that, I will be drinking Charlottesville, Virginia's own Star Hill Brewery. Uh, they have a Doppelbach that they call Snowblind that I've not had before. It's, so quite, I have that on, it's quite good. I have that on standby, and I'm I looking forward to as well. to having that one because it's after Thanksgiving, and you can drink winter beers now. Hooray! Yes, it makes sense. It's not premature now. Exactly. I, on the, Some of on us the, have patience on this show. Drink beers whenever you want. Don't 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 fall for the tyranny of seasons. You don't actually believe that, though. <laughs> I believe it in beers. Other things, no, but beers, yes. I think I, I think I might be the extreme on this since I bring up the season or the weather pretty much every time. Not tonight, but most of the other times I bring up the season or the weather to explain why I pick my drink. Yeah, you're like it's. It was exactly 69.7 degrees outside today. It's obviously with, weather for with for a dew point of uh, of 72. So I really thought with the humidity it was worth. I I have a uh, a nog a store bought nogs uh, story. Um, my well, we all my my friends and I. It was it was a snowy. It was just before Christmas. It snowed one year. And my roommates and I, we all walked to the liquor store and we we're like, let's buy some the makings for eggnog. And we got in there and they just had all the pre-made ones. And we we're looking at them and I was like, I went first and I was like, all of these are like, clearly like trash. It, it's like wait, trash you took nuggets. it in turns to go in and look. Like it's a small liquor store. <laughs> we were in a line to get to the nog. There wasn't much room. So I was looking and I was like, nah, these all. They all sound like really they're bad. They just don't they're they're cheap and they just sound like they're made of bad you know just low quality ingredients. It's not worth it to me. I'm gonna go get something else. So I came back and found that my friends like really excitedly picking this other one and I was like, what is this? And it, it was like Christian Brothers or something like that. And on the back, the label talked about how their scientists had come up with the best formulation for eggnog. And I was like, you know, the fact that they're admitting that this is just like mass-produced lab nog rather than an eggnog of some kind. Um, I can see why you're so excited about it. It did still taste awful. Um, I was right on that front, but uh, I understood immediately why they were so excited about science nog uh, as it became, uh, as the night went on, it became science nog. And they went through both bottles before the night was over, which ended badly, of course. As many of your stories <laughs> often do. Not for me, though. Usually I end no. up coming out okay. I land on yeah. my feet. Jason Anderson, the cat of every drunken story on Filibuster. Let's get to it, guys. The MLS Cup is this Sunday. We're going to see the Columbus Crew hosting the Portland Timbers. Um, we'll, we'll discuss a little bit exactly how that came to happen. Uh, hashtag MPF is in the air. Tis the season of, of joyfulness now that Thanksgiving has passed and Metro playoff failure is well and truly arrived. Um, despite Columbus's best effort to, to give it up in the end, uh, they did hold on. New York won the game one to nothing, but lost the series two to one to Columbus. Uh, out West, a two to two draw in Dallas punched Portland's ticket to the final late goal by Lucas Milano, stealing the show at the end of that one and, and providing the exclamation point. Ben, these are these are two small markets, uh, especially relative to Dallas and New York, um, but two really fun teams to watch at this point anyway, uh, now that Portland has shed their, their attempt, went back to 
to being more aggressive and attacking and pretty than than they ever have been under Caleb Porter. Um, given those two kind of opposite dynamics, do you think Don Garber is happy with this final? Yeah, I think he's happy enough with it. I mean, obviously his preferred choice would have been a New York-LA or New York-Seattle final, or given the Final Four, a New York-Dallas final. But I think for the quality of soccer on, on the on the television uh, this coming Sunday, uh, he's got to be uh, pleased enough with it. It's not going – it's – it's not like uh, my favorite MLS Cup of all time and my favorite, I mean, the worst MLS Cup of all time, the 2010 World Cup where uh, Colorado played anti-soccer and somehow won. Uh, it's going to be an attractive game, and it's not going to draw just total, uh, total randos, but it may draw people who are already soccer fans who – may not be MLS fans yet and who may want to be like, oh, I'll turn into MLS Cup, and hopefully this game will be attractive enough to appeal to, to that kind of fan because I think that's the next the next step for MLS is to attract the non-MLS fans in the but who are who are already soccer fans. So right. I, think, I, th- I, th- I think it's going to be a good enough draw for Don Garber. He's not, he's not going to be so mad about it being Portland and uh, Columbus. Yeah, I think the thing for... MLS's TV ratings, which have not been good, let's just put it that way, um, is that a lot of fans... They've been better, though. Yeah, yeah, they have. But most MLS fans are not actually fans of MLS. They're fans of their team. And they will watch their team on TV when they they can get the game. Uh, Or they'll go to the stadium. but, But they won't watch two teams that they don't root for even in the playoffs, a lot of them. That's changing bit by bit, slowly. We're seeing more people watch the, the Friday night games on uh, Unimas and, and UDN. We're seeing more people watch the Sunday games on Fox and ESPN, uh, or Fox Sports 1 and ESPN. So we'll, we'll see how, how this final goes. But uh, as far as hipster cred, I think this is definitely a good final. Um, Jason, what do you what do you make of uh, of the dynamic there? Uh, I think it should be plenty entertaining. Um, you have a Columbus team that is great at scoring goals and not very good at defending against them. Um, Portland has uh, really come around in in since changing to the four three three. Though I will caution people that I don't expect it to be a four three three in the final. I think. Um, much like they played against Dallas, they're going to drop those wide forwards back into the midfield and play it as a 4-1-4-1. Um, it's not that big of a deal, um, but I think on the road they're going to be a, a touch more cautious just in terms of getting numbers behind the ball. Um, but there's still a lot of attacking quality on both sides. Um, it would be a shame if someone like Liam Ridgewell, for example, uh, missed the second leg against Dallas with an injury. If he were to miss out, that would be kind of a shame. Um, it would definitely benefit Columbus because Norberto Paparato still kind of gets lost on the um, ball watching a lot. Um, but uh, as a as a spectacle, it should be a good one. Um, these are two of the most attractive teams in the league to watch. Um, I, I really think that there's a, a ton of talent. You've got two teams that play with a real number ten. Um, a lot of uh, 
size up front. Both teams have kind of similar forwards, though. Kai Kamara is a little more of an aerial threat. Uh, Fernando Adi, despite looking like a prototypical target player, really likes to receive the ball to feet more than he does to go battle up in the air. Um, I think the crew's offense might be a little more diverse. Uh, I think Adi scored like 40% of Portland's goals during this, the regular season or something ridiculous because they, they just didn't score very much during the season. Um, but a lot of that had to do with their their tactics, which were a lot more direct and a lot more conservative than Caleb Porter's known for being. Um, in the playoffs, they've been they've been pretty effective. I mean, they scored five goals and two legs against Dallas, and Dallas was not like Columbus, a team that just bleeds goals all season and tries to win by you know winning shootouts. Um, so they can definitely go and win the game. Um, I'm I'm interested to see if there are any other tactical adjustments. I don't think Columbus will make any. I think that their lineup, unless someone gets hurt during training, is very, very predictable. I think Porter is the one that really could switch something up. Um, I don't think it's going to be Darlington Nagby playing on the right. I think that would be crazy. But um, as far as, as promising entertainment, it's one of the best pairings in a long time. Um, I do wonder about on the rating side, I mean, there are still going to be plenty of people that are like, Portland, Columbus, I don't know these guys, and that's the end of it, um, which is unfortunate because, you know, if you looked under the surface, you'd realize that these teams play better, more balanced soccer, uh, but still staying very attractive, better, more so than L.A. or Seattle, for example, teams that have big-name stars. And you can also see players with national team hopes and possibilities playing in these games Um you know, if you've seen the national team recently, you know who Darlington Nagby is now. And then you can tune in and say, oh, look, there's that guy from the national team game that I watch because I only watch the national team and the Premier League. Um, I recognize this guy. I should, you know, see what he's doing because he looked good playing for the national team. Um, Columbus doesn't have anyone quite in that league because they've got uh, uh, more of their players and more of their important players are internationals. But um I think anyone that knows the game for five minutes will be like, oh, wait, this is a good team to watch. Look how high their fullbacks are. Uh, look at Federico Iguain doing crazy stuff all over the – wandering really all over the place and doing whatever he pleases. Um, so hopefully enough people will give the game a shot because they'll be rewarded. I just – I do wonder if you won't see people being like, oh, where are the stars? You know, where's uh, Giovinco? Where's Robbie Keane? Um, and if, if that's your mindset, I, I can't really help you. I'm a MLS fan for 20 years. I, I'm obviously not the person that uh, sees things that way. So, well, um, and if that's your if that's what you're coming at the game, you're not listening to this podcast. Yeah, unless someone is forcing you to. In which case, right. call 911. Don't don't but, subject but, you yourself know, to us unless you actually like what we're talking see, about. It's, I would go a different way. I would say, you know, thank you to our ardent listener who's like, no, you have to sit down <laughs> and listen to this whether you want to or not. No, no, um, no. P- listeners, please subject everyone you know, Clockwork Orange style, to this podcast. The Ludovico technique is very effective for listening to this podcast. It, your friend is going to be like, why do my eyes have to be open? Because it's a podcast. But don't explain it to them. Just do it. Yep. So I think there's a chance DC United's name will come up more than once during the broadcast on Sunday. And that's because DC United is arguably directly responsible for the fact that this game is happening in Columbus and not happening in Portland, which is obviously important. That's home field advantage for the crew instead of for 
the Timbers. And it all comes down to, really, DC United's 5 nothing loss at Columbus to end the season. Um, Columbus ended up beating... They ended up tied on points and wins with Portland. They had a, the exact same record, but they had a goal differential that was better by three goals. Five of those goals came against DC United, so if they if United shows up and even just loses by two, it moves on to the next tiebreaker rather than Columbus hosting this game. If United manages to lose by one or better draw or win the game, then obviously the game would be in Portland. Uh, or DC United might still be in it because they would not have been the lower seed. Who knows? Um, but, Ben, what would you set the over-under at for number of times we hear John Strong... This game's on Fox Sports 1, right? I should have looked that up. That's kind of an important detail. No, I believe it's on ESPN. It's on ESPN. All right, so uh, how many times will Taylor Twelman mention DC United uh, when talking about that very fact? During the game itself or during pregame festivities? Including pregame and halftime. Oh, that's different. I'm going to go with one. I, I think they're going to ignore it mostly. I think it's, yeah. So I would set the over-under at three times during the entire broadcast. I mean, yeah, yeah. It will, be, it, it will be like it will be like four or five hours of broadcast time total, including pregame. So, they'll have a lot of time to fill. Twice. Yeah, if it's a three, I'm taking the under. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll see next week um, whether whether my over-under was good or whether it was too aggressive. Uh, or whether Jason, we'll remember that you did that. Yes, we will also <laughs> see that. Uh, be sure to hold us to account next week. If you remember and we don't, let us hear it. Filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Jason, who is the advantage in this game? Uh, ESPN's soccer power index magical formula of whatever um, has Columbus as, I think, 63% to win this game. Uh, when pressed on Twitter what it would be at a neutral site, they one of the guys involved with it said that Portland would be 60%. To win, so that's a huge swing. That's a twenty-point swing, twenty-three-point swing, essentially, um, just by the fact that this is that cultural site. If it were at Providence Park, it would be—you'd figure Portland would be even bigger favorites to win. Do you think the home field makes that big of a difference in this particular game? Uh, and who do you think has the advantage? I've got to say, I think. The, the neutral site prediction is kind of accurate. It rings true to me. Um, because of Adi's physicality, uh, I, I still see Columbus struggling a little bit. Even with Gaston Sauro changing things and, and sort of fixing the problem, I think they struggle a little bit defending against big, powerful target players. And they don't have to defend in the air, which is the bigger weakness, but I still think they're going to have some issues um, winning the ball off of Adi when he, when he, he gets the ball to feet, when his back is to goal. Um, I also, I kind of like the, the fact that Trap and Chani are both going to have to focus on defending. They're always going to have an attack-minded midfielder near them. It won't be like playing New York where Sasha Kleshin is, is ahead and then uh, Felipe and McCarty are a little deeper. Instead, those two are going to have to deal with Nagby and Diego Valeri right in their general area of the field a lot. And 
I think the fact that they were going to, those two having to do so much defensively takes away more from Columbus's um, plans going forward, especially since Iguain likes to wander around a little bit. Um, I think this was actually covered in a couple different places about how um, Trap and Chani did a lot of table setting for Columbus in the, in the series against New York. Um, so I think in those two areas of the field, uh, Portland certainly has a, a tactical advantage. And um, I also wonder about Columbus because of the amount of crosses they like to fire in. Portland's center backs with Borchers and Ridgewell or even Paparato are really good in the air. Um, they're really good at dealing with that sort of thing. Uh, so, so I think that Columbus is going to have to look for some other – they're still going to put in plenty of crosses, don't get me wrong, but if, if they expect that they can just pump crosses in and Kai Kamara will figure it out, they probably need more planning than that. I think we saw – we've seen in the playoffs, not just against the Red Bulls, but all the, throughout the playoffs that Greg Berhalter is good at coming up with a plan that's not necessarily what we expect of Columbus – um, he's good at tweaking their game plan so that they can be better suited for a specific opponent. I'm sure he's going to come up with something. I think the difference here is that Caleb Porter also can do that, whereas Jesse Marsh showed that he kind of just sort of asked his team to continue playing plan A for a, way too long in that series. Um, and I think that, that that's going to be a pretty fascinating angle, but I, I think that the neutral site percentage favoring Portland was was a fair one. I think in all honesty, I'm kind of leaning towards even picking Portland to win in Columbus just because I think the way the teams match up doesn't necessarily favor the crew. Um, I think they would have really preferred to see Dallas or or almost anyone from the West, really. I think Portland is the, the team that's the worst match out of the West for Columbus on paper. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I'm I'm leaning towards just picking Portland to win outright as well. Um in in this one, they've shown that they can do it on the road, even in the playoffs. Like they went on the road to win at Vancouver, they went on the road and got the draw in Dallas. Granted, Dallas was putting hard, but they scored first. It put them in, in that position. They scored think, first, and they scored a a, uh, a bizarre like training ground kind of goal at the end. Uh, I mean, it was really an excellent piece of skill, but it was also the yeah. kind of goal that's like, what do I do now? Oh, I'll, I'll try this. Not like a training ground goal in the sense that you often hear it with regard to a set piece where it was obviously planned and rehearsed, but a, more more of a sandlot goal where uh, Lucas Milano just dribbled past a few guys, one of whom happened to be Jesse Gonzalez, and then he got to the end line and was like, well, I can hold it up. Oh, hey, there's the goal. I'll just tap it in. I'll just give this little outside <laughs> it was like, chop. And the ball, yeah, the ball had to take it down out of like, bounds. It had to take this little spin off of the grass to get over the line, and until it really landed just beyond, because it only got just barely over the line before it got cleared away. Um, but that added to it the fact that it slowly got itself into the goal. Um, just added to it. It just seemed cruel at that point. It it really was cruel. It, it didn't just seem that way. It really, really was. It was, it was. I, I don't think Lucas Milano was meaning to taunt Dallas, but that makes it even worse because <laughs> it was it was just so heartbreaking for for Dallas. I have to imagine. Ben, who do you see having the advantage in this? Do you think are, are you going to go against me and Jason on this? Do you think Columbus has the advantage? Yeah, I'm going to go slightly with Columbus. I think the uh... you Ohio native you. Yeah, uh, I think. <laughs> I think uh, Crew Stadium, I refuse to call it by its other name, uh, is Matt still a... Matt Heary? 
Map free? I don't know. I have refused to call it that, so I don't even know why I'm trying. Um, <laughs> I think Crew Stadium still has uh, enough mystique. I think that uh, the crew themselves have, uh, I mean, not, very, not nobody on this team, but I mean, the crew as an organization have two MLS Cups. This is the first time Portland has even uh, made the final, so there's a little bit of that. Uh, Greg Berhalter seems, I, I don't know, he seems more, he seems to have an air about him that is more winning than Caleb Porter. I, I, I can't get the disaster in Tennessee uh, with the U23s out of my head when I come to think about Caleb Porter. So I, I just imagine something ridiculous happening to him to lose this game. So I, I think I'm going to go with Columbus having the edge uh, and... Yeah, I, I I just want a good game. I, I I like both of these teams well enough, so I have no animus towards either. But I my gut says Columbus. All right, you can watch it Sunday 4 p.m. on ESPN. That's ESPN proper and Unimas. If for some reason you're listening to us in Canada, which I'm sure we have at least a few listeners. Hi, we love you. Uh, it's on TSN and RDS. Um, stick around. We will be right back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and, yeah. And, not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now for DC United news. We've got a, a few, well, really two DC United news items and one broader MLS news item. Uh, news item, the first, Chris Pontius it sounds like next week is no longer going to be a part of DC United. He will be traded to the Philadelphia Union for allocation money. So uh, reported, so, so said our sources, so said Steve Goff, so said Pablo Mar. It, it seems like it's a done deal. Uh, Chris Pontius was, and I guess at this point still is, DC United's longest tenured player until the trade window opens after the, the MLS Cup final. Um He's scored a lot of goals for DC United over seven years, uh, had a few assists, played a lot of games. He's one of only, I think, I think our render, our reader, Brendonica, compiled the list. Um, he, he's one of five players to be in the top ten of DC United for games played, goals scored, and assists. Only five guys are, are in the top ten in all three of those categories, and he's one of them, uh, along with guys like, you know, Jaime Moreno, Marco Echeverri, uh, and and others. 
Um, that said, he hasn't been super productive since, really since his best 11 season in 2012, when he was in the league's best 11. Uh, it was a really good year for him, and he was deservedly in in the all-league team. Um, injuries have, have hampered him since then. Of course, he signed a new deal after that, that year that basically made him gave him a salary just short of designated player status. So he's been eating up a lot of cap space while not playing a ton of games or being anywhere near as productive as he was before the injuries hit. Ben, I'm certainly of two minds of, of this trade, and, and I, I put it out there on Facebook that uh, it's a head versus heart situation for me. I completely understand the need for this trade, and, and I've been saying really since... I think Pontius will be back with here. The same time, he's been one of my favorite players for years, and he's been a fan favorite basically since his rookie year, since his first game when he scored a goal at LA, a, a wonderful curling goal of the far post, uh, in true Pontius fashion. So I'm sad to see him go, but I completely understand, and it's a weird kind of. I I I have some feels, is what I'm saying, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, Chris Pontius was the first player whose jersey I got as a birthday present in 2011, and uh, it's kind of a jinx jersey because the first time I wore it was the uh, game that he broke his leg uh, in 2011. So you're a witch. Yeah, basically. Don't you don't you also have a um, the 2012 red jersey? Don't you also have that as a Pontius? Yeah. Yes. Yes. The same one. No, 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 no. You have two Pontius jerseys. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. So it's it's yeah it's I have I have some love for 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 the Pontius, but yeah, just like you, at this point, with the salary that he's making, with the option salary that got picked up by the Philadelphia Union, so we've heard at four hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. It, it, Which, let's be clear, in any other major American sport or any other major soccer league in the world is not that much money, yeah, but this is MLS. Blah, so. blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's irresponsible for the team to pay that much money to a guy who is as injury-prone as Pontius. He had a tiny good stretch at the end of 2015, like the last couple of games and then into the than the New England Revs game in the playoffs when he got injured again. And other than that, it's been, like, since 2012, basically, since he's had a really good run of form. And you just can't be paying somebody over $400,000 for that kind of production. Uh, and, like, and if the other, other shooter drop on that rumor comes true, you can still get two MLS, solid MLS players for what you've been paying Pontius. And for a team that needs to fill some holes, that's something you just have to do. Before we move on to that other shoe, I will I will agree with you that it would have been irresponsible for the team to do that, which is exactly why it makes perfect sense that the Philadelphia Union would step in. <laughs> Even under new management, they got rid of Nicky, rid of Nicky Sack. Nick Sakavitz is no longer running the show there. Ernie Stewart came in and immediately got a case of the dupes and decided I, this was a good salary for him to take. And I love Chris, and he's a great dude, and I'm really happy that he's getting paid again next year. And I'm, I'm not unhappy that 
it's the union that's going to have to foot the bill. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a salary that it a player like that has to. You have to go into the season expecting that player, barring some sort of contact injury that can't be legislated for. You ha- legislated for. Uh, you, you have to expect that that player otherwise plays 30 games minimum. Um, you're, you're paying, especially if you're DC United, you can't afford any. I mean, a couple years ago, after 2013, I did argue that it was okay if United was a little flabby salary cap wise uh, because they had to get something going because after 2013, the team was abysmal. Um, they had to change some things to make the team respectable again. But after a couple of years, you should be able to get a little more lean, and you can't roll the dice on that kind of salary for a player with Pontius's injury history. What's funny, too, is that the union spent the last two years getting out from Peter Novak's yeah. flabby salary well, roster building, and they finally get out from under that, and then they... Well, I, they still had some work to do. They weren't yeah, completely they, out from under. That's, that's um, true. I mean, they also made some silly decisions on the way, but they had this idea in mind, and they just keep doing, even under new new management, keep doing well, things that go against. I, I wonder how much of this deal was already worked out before Stewart came aboard. Um, this might have been something that Casper had already kicked around with, with the decision makers there while they were still sorting out what was going to happen with Sakevitz being fired, and then there was sort of a power vacuum. Um and maybe, maybe you know, it's a cutthroat thing, but maybe United, to their credit, was like, you know what, this is a team that doesn't know what's going on right now. They've got a bunch of stuff happening. Let's see what we can do about making a, a trade offer that maybe is favorable for us and, and for them is a huge risk. Philadelphia um, Union, they are the perennial new guy in your fantasy football league. Right. Um, and, and you'd think that that would be New York City FC, but... Um, we haven't heard anything about them moving some players like Thomas McNamara to DC, like he should by all rights. Um, along with just bring Poku with him too. Let's get both of those. Yeah, I mean, there. I assume that one of them has a car that suits seats four people and has a nice trunk. They can put all their their the stuff they need for short term uh, for a couple weeks while they get their feet on the ground in DC. Um, let's already let's already pencil that in that that move happens just just for our hearts and not for logic. Um, but uh. Maybe someone at New York City was smart enough to be like, boy, those guys from the union keep ending up walking into bad deals. Maybe we should just not make any deals and see how that goes, um, which is also a bad move. But it, in this case, it might be a, a better thing for them because, uh, you know, we, we heard that apparently, and this was, um, I believe, was also in Steve Goff's piece on the on the topic, that the only two teams that were making an offer to United were the Rapids and the Union. And I don't care what category you're talking about, but if you just say it's MLS and we're talking about the Colorado Rapids and the Philadelphia Union, you assume that a bad deal's being made. And like you guys, I've got plenty of awesome memories of Chris Pontius. Like like I said earlier today, we're recording on a Tuesday, um, that most of DC's big memories since he joined the club involved Chris Pontius. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even this season, he only scored three goals, but you look at the goals he did score – um, or I guess he scored four, including the playoffs. You've got a goal, in, a playoff goal. Uh, you've got a stoppage time game winner against the Galaxy, which uh, for, I don't know for everyone, but for the people that have been here from the beginning, 
a, a goal against the Galaxy to win the game in stoppage time is almost as good as scoring a stoppage time goal against the Red Bulls. Um, and also to bring up the Red Bulls, how many times did Pontius do awesome things against the Red Bulls? Um, oh, that, oh, that rain hat trick. That awesome. rain hat trick, the, the stoppage time winner to k- close the Meadowlands. Or, or, or to just survive the various assaults of Rafa Marquez. Um, because <laughs> Marquez tried his best to put Pontius in the hospital, and Pontius in his healthiest season was like, I, I'm not going to be, you'll not injure me, Rafa Marquez. Um, despite being left on the field after punching him in the face. Uh, thank you, Mark Geiger. Um, because it, let's be honest, that should have been a red card by itself. But Marquez was like, I'm getting sent off today. Um, no matter <laughs> what. Or high water. I don't he care was... what happens. I don't know what his plan, his plan C would have been if that, the tackle didn't get a second yellow. I think he would have actually just started punching Mark Geiger in the face, I guess. Um, because at that I... point, it's like, what else, what else can I do to go home early? Speaking I have to get of, out of here. I have plans. Speaking of DC United fans, favorite Red Bulls, uh, yes. New York apparently did not exercise the option or, <laughs> or re-sign Roy Miller this year. So, was so generous, you're like, oh, he, they didn't. What a surprise! <laughs> Roy Miller will not be returning to the Red Bulls last year. Not that he played very, much this year. Very mean but... girls. <laughs> he's about he's about to run up and take a. Uh, I, this podcasting job away from you, Adam, instead of <laughs> allowing you to take this free kick. That'd be like that'd be like me having a wonderful intro idea and and instead saying, "Hey Ben, you say hey hey, welcome in this week." You are the Roy Miller to my Tyrion. But then, but then Ben, would, but then Ben would be like, "Hey, her, um, hello." <laughs> <laughs> um, here's here's what you're I want to say. Ben, you're much more valued than Roy Miller is. Clear, clear. I want you to know that. Go, go legal advice. Never mind. <laughs> I hate you. Go to hell. Actually, I, I think only Jason has ever said goat goat legal advice to. Yes, I. I yes, multiple times. Um, <laughs> which I, somehow uh, did not chase away our audience. Um, I I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I'm sure it dropped, but I'm saying that there were like more listeners than us um, in the end, which is what I I you got to count it. Here's what I want to see. Roy Miller, let's say Roy Miller joins some other team and actually turns out to be really good. Wouldn't that be funny? No. No, it'd be Absolutely. hilarious because the Red Bulls fans would be absolutely furious to see him succeed anywhere else because they'd be like, why did we get stuck with this guy for so long? Why was he always such a pain? He joins the Colorado Rapid, wears the armband, and immediately leads them to the Western Conference Final. Uh, I don't, I, look, I don't think he's going to be that good. <laughs> I don't Just think, a passable soccer player would be enough. I don't enough. think Lionel Messi could pull that off uh, because it's the Rapids. Let, let's let's get back on track here a little bit. Um, I say back as if we were ever on track. Um, the next piece of DC United-related news uh, involves a trade coming in to DC United. They traded Chris Pontius to Philly for allocation money. We don't know how much, but but some amount of Garber bucks uh, and and all the freed up salary cap space. And in what has to be considered a related move as far as DC United's concerned, Lamar Nagel 
is apparently coming from the Seattle Sounders to DC United. He's uh, a guy who plays on the wing and up front, just like Chris Pontius. He's a guy who has been in the league seven years, just like Chris Pontius. He has very similar numbers over his career, and actually in in somewhat fewer games than, than Pontius does, but he's on less than half the salary of Chris Pontius, which makes it look like a, a good bit of decision-making by Dave Casper and the front office, Jason. Yeah, it looks it looks like United did. Uh, they didn't get quite exactly the same player as Pontius is at his best. I think Nagel um, is, is more, uh, has more of a stay-wide tendency than Pontius does. He, he does come in sometimes, but it's not as like, we know Pontius for cutting inside and then scoring goals. Um, Nagel has a little more of a balanced statistical profile. He tends to create goals and score goals in sort of an equal measure, whereas Pontius has always been more of a goal-scoring winger than he has been a, an assist man. Um, but as far as, as, far as adding a, a faster player than the other, the rest of the midfield, we haven't lost that. Pontius was faster than the rest of the midfield, but now Nagel is, at this point in both of their careers, definitely the faster player of the two. Um, we've been talking all, all offseason about United needing speed, um, so that's a positive. He can play up front. He's um, certainly the more durable of the two. Yes. Uh, no real major injury history at all there. Yeah, I mean, he's got the standard, um, you know, nicks and bruises that everyone gets, but nothing nothing major. Um, nothing chronic, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, you know, Olsen will have the option of switching him and Rolf in games, you know, maybe for a few minutes here and there or maybe – for a specific reason for a long time, for, you know, maybe for the full 90 minutes. Um, so that's, that's nice to have the, the tactical freedom to do that. Um, and, and I would also say with Nagel that his stats are pretty much equal to Pontius's, but in Nagel's first year, in both, both of them entered the league in 2009, but Nagel did not make any appearances in MLS that season. And then he was cut. He ended up going to the Charleston Battery. He played... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he played at the same briefly played for the same Finnish club that took Josh Wicks, and I'm sure you were not sitting at home thinking you were or in your car or wherever that you were going to think about Josh Wicks, but here we are. Um, and also and a guy with mentioning a guy coming from the Sounders. Exactly. The, that that Josh Wicks comes up while talking about a, a DC or a Sounders to DC trade, um, but he played there briefly, came back um, to Seattle, and since then has added up the minutes and the goals and the assists that he has now. Um, I think I think everyone outside of D.C. and Seattle that have seen has seen this trade has said, you know, provided we're not talking about – the rumor is that it's allocation money. No one's actually sure what the terms are going to be. But um, provided we're not talking about, like, a giant amount of allocation money – it's a good deal for DC, and it, it's a good deal for Seattle. Seattle has a massive logjam of players. I think I was counting yesterday it was what 14 or 15 potential forwards or wide midfielders on their roster. Um, even if you take away the guys that mostly play centrally, you're still talking about like 10. It's just it's too many, and they're a team that has three designated players. They spent a, a lot of money on non-designated players like Nelson Valdez and Andreas Evenschitz. So. They've got a lot to sort out financially. Yeah, and, they need to balance their team a little bit better than having yeah. that much money dedicated to the wings and up front. Right. And, and if then, you're Dave Cas- oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, 
I was going to transition, so you go ahead. Uh, uh, my only other thing was, that, you know, Dave Casper, for all the knocks we've had on him over the years and, and DC fans have had on him over the years, he's really good at spotting teams that have an, Im- an imbalance financially or otherwise that just have too much of one thing and getting in early. That's how Kofi Opare ended up here. Um, was L.A. just had too many center backs. They needed to cut somebody to make room for somebody else that was down the road. United jumped in and got got in there, got a very good player for virtually nothing. Um, I, it was a second-round draft pick or something like that. Um, this is, a, I, I would think, a similar situation because Seattle has to move. Uh, I, I believe Dave Clark from Sound at Heart told me that they have to they have to cut two players just to make the 28-man roster right now, much less the financial concerns, just number number of players. They have too many guys. They had some guys on injured reserve and, that are healthy again. Um, so they, they, they found themselves in a very difficult position from their end, and you have to credit Dave Casper for being the first in line to, to get a trade done with them because you get it done first, that's, the team, that's when the team is in most they, – they feel the need to make a move most acutely – if you're getting in first, you know, the next team that comes along might not get as good of a deal because there's a little less pressure on Seattle to make a move. So um, Casper has his weak points uh, internationally, but when it comes to making deals in MLS and finding teams that don't have a lot of leverage and they have to make a deal, uh, he's been really good at finding them and getting a deal done, which is an important skill. It's not, you know, it's not going to land United, any big name players, um, guys that make a million bucks or what have you, but it's an important skill to have in a league where the salary cap still it's pretty harsh. Uh, you find out pretty quickly that this is not a, a league where you can get away with uh, too many bad signings. And so um, you have to credit him for getting in and, and getting a useful, experienced MLS player that fits the needs of the team very quickly. Moving on now to MLS-wide news. The best 11 for 2015 came out in the last few days, and it is somewhat silly like uh, a 3-4-3, but we won't get into to the merits of position. Uh, we'll go through the names in, in just a minute, but I will say at the top that I had very few issues with actually the names on the list outside of goalkeeper, which was was kind of silly, but it was the guy who won goalkeeper of the year, so he's always going to be the goalkeeper in the best 11. Um but but doesn't mean that this is the guy that should have won. Everyone knows I'm talking about Luis Robles, who who I think at best is a t- maybe the fourth or fifth, more likely, uh, best goalkeeper in MLS. But he won the award, so he's in the best 11. Joining him are defenders uh, Kendall Waston, Laurent Simon, and Matt Hedges. Midfielders Dax McCarty, Benny Failhaber, uh, Benny <laughs> Failhaber. <laughs> uh, Ethan Finlay, uh, Castillo from Dallas, and forwards Kai Kamara, Robbie Keane, and Sebastian Jovinko. I, the ten field players, Ben, I really didn't have any issue with. I know, I know, some people want it to be a semblance of a team, and I can't fault guys like Matt Doyle for for saying, "Listen, uh, D mids and fullbacks are positions that exist, and they should always be reflected in the best eleven because everybody plays with them in MLS, or almost everybody plays with the D mid, and literally everyone plays with fullbacks. But that being said, I I don't really fault the 
the voters at large for for the ten names they came up with. What do you think? Yeah, I have no real problem with it. I've I, I mean, I understand on an intellectual level why people are like, oh, we should reflect what people actually play. But eh, I yeah, I, I'm fine with picking a lineup that would never actually take the field and succeed. So that, that that's not a problem for me. I think you recognize the players that you want to rec- that the media wants to recognize and uh yeah you, you have these debates afterwards and other players get recognized as well and so it, it it's a fine list it's a list uh obviously Bill Mead should have been in there over Luis Robles but other than, yeah I, I like you other than that I have no I have no real problem with it yeah. Or Osted or Romando, like I would have no problem with either of those guys. Even, even if Romando, yeah, even Stephen Fry, Fry. yeah. yeah sure. I think, yeah, I think this year Robles was at best the fifth best goalkeeper in MLS, but he played for a good team with a good defense, and and so he got to take advantage of it. I've said, right. I I don't know if I've said it on the show. I know I've said it elsewhere that Luis Robles enjoys uh, a similar phenomenon to Derek Jeter, where he makes plays. Uh, he makes spectacular plays that better goalkeepers make look ordinary. Plays that Luis Robles, because he's, frankly, because he's small and because he's a great shot stopper, but some other aspects of his game aren't as well developed as that, he makes spectacular plays, whereas Bill Hameen makes that play and it looks like someone just shot it at Bill Hameen because his positioning is so good and he's so aggressive off his line that he just shuts it down and the shot never happens in the first place. So I, I think Luis Robles, another guy, in, in enjoys a similar thing to Derek Jeter whose range isn't as good and so he makes spectacular plays that other shortstops do just as normal course, but they look spectacular when Jeter does them. I think it's similar with Luis Robles, and so voters remember that. And then when the stats look like the Red Bulls don't give up a lot of goals because the Red Bulls don't give up a lot of goals, he just rides on both of those phenomenon and phenomena and ends up winning goalkeeper of the year, even when he probably shouldn't. If any year there was a year, if ever there was a year for Nick Romando to win it, I thought it was this year. Apparently the voters didn't agree. Uh, and he wasn't even in the top three, but... There you go. Uh, Jason, do you have any issues with the field players on the list? Uh, a little bit. I, I, when, when we've gotten the opportunity to vote in the past, um, and, and someone, I think in most years, someone from our blog has been able to vote. Um, I know when, when I've been allowed to submit one, I've always tried to vote for one fullback. No one requires you to. The, the requirements that are stated are you have to vote for one goalkeeper, uh, at least three defenders, at least three midfielders, and that's it. Or, or and at least one forward. Um, and everything else, you can do whatever you want. You can vote for a three-six-one; it's allowed. Um, but I've always tried to vote. I always for went out of my way to vote for a three-six-one. <laughs> you, you, and Steve Sampson. <laughs> um, who's, we were the guys. I assume Steve Sampson has just not given up on on that formation, even though he's coaching in college and he almost certainly has. <laughs> um, but uh, I've always tried to vote for a fullback. I feel like the voters might need to be like forced to vote for a fullback because this year I'm not sure. Um, it's interesting because I think a lot of people made up their mind. They, it's weird how the voting ends up working because a lot of teams 
don't get watched very much. Um, I think David Osted didn't win goalkeeper of the year because he plays for Vancouver. Um, because he's on a team on the West Coast and in Canada, it's it's like two strikes against him against most of the, or a, a big chunk of the voting group. Um, and I think that makes it almost impossible for someone in in his shoes that isn't. If you're Giovinco, uh, then okay, you're probably going to win. Um, but otherwise, if you're not making such an authoritative case with with goals and assists, you're kind of screwed. And I think that hurt him. Um, but going back to the field players, you know, Laurent Simon played was brilliant for about two thirds of the season, and then just started picking up way too many yellow cards. He ended up with three red cards this season, and I've, if I'm not mistaken, every single one. Actually, I can bring this up. Every single one, if I'm not mistaken, was a uh, second yellow. And yes, that's accurate. Um, he got two yellows in a game three different times which is a, is not a good indicator, and I think his play overall dropped off a little bit as Montreal actually started to improve, which is kind of a weird dynamic. Um, the reason they improved was because of Didier Drogba, obviously. Um, but I'm not sure. he. I think he and Kendall Waston, I think one of them has to go. I think Matt Hedges got credit because if you look at Dallas's roster, I mean, it's a bunch of kids and there are a bunch of injuries all season long, and Matt Hedges is out there doing a great job anyway. Despite, I mean, his he's been the fullbacks that started for Dallas in the the playoffs were Javon Watson and Ryan Hollings, who were recent converts to fullback. Um, those are not specialists; they aren't guys that have a ton of experience there at all. Um, Hollings said doesn't even have more than what two or three years as a professional. Um, on top of that, so um, he deserved it. I think one of Watson or Simon has to get dropped for a fullback. Um, and then when you look at fullbacks. Maybe it's Harrison Offal from Columbus has been excellent all season. I mean, he only came in in the summer, but um, he was pretty much the best right back immediately. I mean, he starts for Ghana, um, so there's a good reason for that. Um, looking into the midfield, I guess I have a heart. I mean, Dax McCarty got in there, so someone that's a defensive midfielder got um, got, a, got a spot on the list. So... Um, from that front, I, you know, as much as I, I think maybe McCarty gets a little overrated because he's in New York, I do think it was fair overall. Based on his play this season, he really played about as well as he possibly can. Um, I guess really fullback, the, adding a fullback in the form of Awful or um, maybe Stephen Betashore, who surprisingly is not necessarily going to be in Vancouver next season. Um, yeah, they declined his option better. today, which is crazy because he's not even making a lot of money. Um, but yeah, in any case, that's, that's the other fullback might be Kamar Lawrence, which pains me to say because he is a Red Bull. But he had a great season out on the left side for them. Yeah, I mean there are a few guys that 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 have an argument that have a full season. Um, Betashore, um, Justin Morrow playing both flanks for Toronto, despite Toronto being awful at defending, he did everything he could to prevent them from being as bad at defending as they are. Um, Lawrence was excellent. Um, Chris Tierney had the best year of his career, I think, in New England. There are a lot of good fullbacks out there. I saw a couple of people saying that it was a down year for fullbacks. I thought that was crazy. I thought it was an excellent season for MLS fullbacks. And a lot of teams are actually um, working to get more from their full. They're saying, you know, let's give me, let me give more opportunities for my fullback to make an, uh, an impact on games. Um, so I, I thought it was a good year for someone that's a fullback to get in there, but um, – uh, obviously people, you know, center backs are playing a more important role in the defending phases. So they're going to, you know, 
there on a, and also the center backs that were named. Um, Hedges is kind of getting a team achievement award uh, being with Dallas. People were like, well, I got to vote for somebody else from Dallas besides Castillo. Um, Simon is very eye-catching because when he joined Montreal, he said he wanted to be a playmaker from the back, and people were like, in MLS, that's crazy. And then he promptly did exactly what he said he was going to do. Um, there's a reason why he, he makes the Belgian national team, um, but he was in the World Cup for them. Um, and then Kendall Waston is one of those guys that you can't help but notice because uh, he's the biggest and most physical player that in any given game that he's in. Um, and, and he does a pretty good job. I'm actually kind of surprised having watched him play in the Champions League for Saprissa. I thought he was going to be too reckless and just be kind of a um, walking red card in MLS, but apparently I, I overestimated the, the harshness of MLS referees or the consistency, which <laughs> if, it's, if it's the latter, that's entirely on me. Um, and I don't know what I was thinking, but um, I, I don't know. A fullback needs to get in there, but other than that, I mean, Giovinco, Kamara, Robbie Keane did an excellent job in LA despite not getting talked about as much this year. Which is weird um, for a guy named Robbie For anyone from LA. Los Angeles, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and the funny thing was, like, the Galaxy have a reputation for being really good at marketing their players at the end of the season for awards because I think the people that this – this is the thing. Play, all of these players have bonuses built into their contract for getting on these lists, um, and the people that work for the clubs know this, and they all try they, – they aren't just doing it for the club. They're doing it because these guys have money riding on this. Um, in some cases, a significant amount of money, maybe more than than one of us might make in a year. Um, so there's a lot going on there, and the Galaxy have the reputation for being the very best at making a case for their guy. Um, and no one was – I saw maybe a sporadic, like, hey, Keane should get MVP discussion, but it was very sporadic, and no one took it seriously. Um, and part of that is, you know, Giovinco and Kamara took up two-thirds of the spots, and everyone knew that. Um and Benny Philhopper had an excellent—I would say—I I hesitate to say an excellent full season, but like ninety percent of the year he was excellent. Um, also, I don't he, think Robbie King gets a bonus for being in the top three for MVP, and everyone knew it was going to be Jovinko first, Kamara second, and then some other guy was going to get third. Some other guy. And and this um, year, Benny Philhopper is some other guy. Yeah, and, and he did a wonderful job for Kansas City, especially because in in. There were several games there where he was playing as their number six um, and still tasked with the playmaking duties. He was um, he because was, of injuries. He did a better job at playing Pirlo when he had to this year than Pirlo did. Well, I mean that's because New York City surrounded Pirlo with other guys that don't defend. Um, Peter Vermes, I, I can't imagine Peter Vermes having to coach New York City FC's central <laughs> midfield. Um, I feel like he would actually explode like uh, the guy that was in um, Big Trouble in Little China that just explodes and they run, they all run and they, it's almost the end of the movie. But he, if he didn't die. He would make sure somebody else did. It's he not would, because Kurt Russell made him explode. It's because he became so outraged that he just he exploded and everyone's like, "This guy is going to actually physically explode. We should get out of here." Uh, and that would have been Peter Vermes watching a Pirlo Lampard discord central midfield. <laughs> In Kansas City. All right, that I think that's all the words we can spend on on the best eleven. We we have a it's probably uh, too many. Yeah, we are way over the the world cap on that one. So we're going to turn now to cake or death. This is our annual player by player review of DC United's roster, where we go through 
and and ask whether we want a guy back for 2016, no matter what the front office has decided. We make our own decisions, and, and there's a series of posts in parallel with this on blackandredunited.com where you can vote in a poll and comment um, in the comments on whether you want a guy back and, and why. And so the three names up this week uh, start with Andrew Dykstra, and he's a great guy. I, I've talked with him at season ticket holder events and and such. He's a home brewer, which obviously we like here on Filibuster, where we are in a drinking podcast with a soccer problem. Um, ben, do you want Dykstra back next year? Uh, no. I think they need to upgrade at that position, even if Bill Hamid is still going to be there uh, next year. And they definitely need to upgrade, obviously, if he's not going to be there next year. Uh, he, I don't think he's just... I, for a team that relies, at least right now, on their goalkeeper so much, I don't think he's good enough as a second goalkeeper. He's fine as a spot starter, but I think Bill, even if Bill Hamid is with the team, I think he's going to miss substantial time with uh, World Cup qualifiers and uh, other and the Copa America that's uh, coming next year. So. I think they need a better second goalkeeper than him. Uh, Travis Wara is still a fine third goalkeeper. So, no, I said I said death. I said Fox. Damn it. I was really hoping you were just going to stick with death. A temporary um, slip-up. I actually voted to keep him. I think he was the third keeper a couple years ago when Joe Willis was the primary backup, and I think that's probably where he ends up if United can can manage this well. I think Travis Wara is probably a step behind Dykstra, and even even as Wara is the younger guy, I, I, I don't think he has a super high ceiling. He's not going to become Bill Hamid ever, uh, which, which is a, a really high bar, but that's we've been spoiled the last several years in D.C. Um, so I think I think we keep Andrew Dykstra. I vote cake on this, and and with the hope that we bring in another goalkeeper even better than Dykstra, because Dykstra has shown that he's willing to push himself and improve even at this stage of his career. So uh, if if Dykstra forces his way into the 18, even with a better competition for Bill Hamid's backup, then so be it. Jason, what do you say? Ah. Uh- I'm willing. I'm willing to roll the dice on the idea that United can find someone that's a little better that isn't. I believe Dykstra turned 30 um, this season, uh, or 31 even. No, I think it's just 30. Um, very likable guy, a local a local product from Virginia. It's. I'm very reluctant to kick anyone off the team that's not, or that that's a local. But at his age, I think United can do a little better there. Um, it's not a financial thing, obviously. Um, we know from the cap information he's not making a ton of money. But um, with his age in mind, I think looking around the league, I see a lot of teams that have someone that has uh, more recent starting minutes than he does. I mean, most of Dykstra's starts in MLS came when he was a rookie in Chicago when he briefly and and kind of bizarrely uh, ended up starting in Chicago when Juan Carlos Osorio just decided that he didn't like John Bush anymore, um, which was one of the more puzzling things that John, Juan Carlos Osorio did, which is saying something because his his reign was a strange one. Um, 
in Chicago and in New York. Um, and we so hope I, in I, Mexico. We can only hope he has a really weird brain in Mexico. I mean, it is the Mexican national team. Things always get weird. And it's um, it's two really weird things. It's the Mexican national team and Juan Carlos Osorio. Right. Well, it's amazing. It this combination. very difficult to scout because Osorio cannot resist the idea of changing his starting eleven um, for for reasons that sometimes make sense and sometimes are just like, what on earth are you doing? Um, so that's going to be fun in in a few months when when Mexico and the U.S. reverse positions as they tend to do, uh, even with Klinsman in place. Uh, it's just one of these things that the world gives us. It says no, these guys are going to switch, and that's just how it's going to be. Um, but on the question at hand, since I've gone off topic again, <laughs> uh, reluctant goat. I mean, reluctant fox. I'm sorry, I also messed it up. <laughs> We're not this in the war. Like cake and death are really yes. easy to remember. Can I can I let you Goat guys and Fox are confusing. Nobody understands why Goat and Fox. Cake and Death, really easy to remember. Goats are awesome, foxes eat goats. So foxes are more so, awesome. So when I finish my other them. drink. So when I finish my other drink, which you guys know but our listeners don't, I finished my original drink, I went downstairs and I had a little sip left, and I went to knock it back, and it was one hundred percent vodka at the bottom. Despite the fact that I stirred my drink throughout the first segment. It was still straight vodka, and then lacking any beers that weren't really fancy that had like a, a thing to twist off and then a, a cork to uncork. Uh, I just poured some uh, some bullet rye in a glass and came back up here <laughs> for expediency's sake. I don't even know why you decided to tell us that. <laughs> because what I just did was clearly the act of someone who's had a little too much to drink and is starting to make mistakes, like saying goat and when he met fucks. Pressing forward. Maybe. <laughs> Trying to. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, the, the next one's pretty easy. I'm going to demand a one-word and one-word-only response from each of you. Please get it right. Fabian Espindola, I vote cake. Jason? Go. Ben? Go. Okay, we're done here. <laughs> on the list is actually an interesting uh, question. He's the subject of our most recent uh, season review post and that is Michael Farfan who who joined United at the end of preseason um, with a lot of hopes uh, that he would work his way into the starting lineup and for one glorious night in Vancouver he did. Um, beyond that though he was a sub or an unused sub or completely out of the 18 recovering from a series of injuries and by the end of the year we understand his option was not reviewed, renewed or it was not exercised and he may or may not be back with DC United next year um, Ben what do you say for Marfan cake or death uh I say I'll be contrarian and say Fox. Uh, I think he was he was he was good in that one night in Vancouver, but I think his other play was when he wasn't injured, which was a lot of the season, was okay. I mean, part of it may have been because he was used on the wing, but with the money that DC United has coming from uh, Chris Pontius moving along with maybe with maybe. Perry Kitchen leaving with maybe uh, Davey Arnaud retiring. I think that they can 
upgrade at that central midfield position. And so I say demand better, upgrade from Marfan, Fox. I'm not sure that's so contrarian because, Jason, I have a hunch you might agree with Ben. Am I off? Uh, a little. Part of me wants to. Um, as I got to write the, the Farfan piece that we, we posted today, um, on one hand, Farfan's stats don't point to someone that fits the team. Um, he finished with one assist and no goals in 660 minutes in MLS. Um, he did great in the CONCACAF Champions League group stage, but against Arabe Unido and Montego Bay, it's not really that big of a bar to clear. Um, so on that side, it's it's hard to say anything other than Fox here. But on the other hand, I can't shake the suspicion that United has not gotten the best out of Michael Farfan, and and by playing him in different positions or being willing to make to, to use that 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 the four one three two we saw in that Whitecaps game that we keep bringing up, and we will keep bringing up until it's over. Um, it's really a game that I, lives I, more in mythology than anything at this point. I I went back after the season and watched it again to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. Um, uh, of course, and it's true. You, you, United used Farfan correctly in that game where he and Rolf played next to each other in defensive phases and were making a. There was a lot of interchange between the two of them. There was a lot of creativity between those two and Espindola all in the game at once. Um, and I think if you don't, if you expect Farfan to be the team's number ten, then it's not going to work. But as a facilitator, as uh, our middle-class Darlington Nagby, I think Farfan still retains quite a bit of value. He's only making, I think, 120000 against the cap. It's not a, a ton of money there. Um, with Pontius leaving, uh, there's a, a void in terms of creating chances. Granted, Pontius most of the time created and scored on his own. It's, it's not He's not the creative type that sets up for others. Um but when I look at United's roster, I see a team that needs more creativity, and we're talking about getting rid of a player who creates, um, a player who has a good first touch, who has some clever ideas with the ball. Um, so I think United has already uh, declared Fox on this per Steve Goff, but until I see otherwise, I'm going to stick with Goat because I think there's more from Michael Farfan than we've gotten out of him. I completely agree. I want to see him back next year um, in in whatever capacity. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that United didn't get the best out of him. And I think I think a lot of that is on Ben Olsen, but not necessarily for bad reasons. When you had as much consistent success with Davey Arno and Perry Kitchen in the middle playing that system he did, that it, it's hard to move away from it, especially in the middle of the year. And Farfan kind of require to move away from that and one night in bank does not a season make and and we should note that that was a game that did, I, I went I also went back and read the match report from this to refamiliarize myself with the circumstances that was the game that Davy Arnold was inexplicably not included in the lineup and it was one of these undisclosed last second injuries that tend to crop up because DC United doesn't really like to report injuries to anyone that they don't have to um and that was the case there, that Arnaud, by all rights, for the whole week, we were expecting Arnaud to travel, 
and all of a sudden it was like, oh, he didn't make that game. And we found, I think we found out that literally the day of the game it was reported, oh, he's not here. Um, and so it was, a, it was a surprise to fans. It was a surprise to Vancouver as well. Um, so that was the circumstances that allowed that game to happen where we got a glimpse of what could be. Unfortunately, it was not to be. Um, but but Michael Farfan, he's he's actually a lot like Chris Pontius in my mind, talent, um, who just has never like never quite met his ceiling in MLS. Maybe for brief glimpses, and for Pontius, that brief glimpse was a full season. But but his ceiling is there, and we know it's there. And he just never seems to to get to it, whether that's because he's not being played correctly or because he's on the union uh, is is hard to say. But I I vote I vote cake for Farfan because I want to see him back and I want to see what Ben Olsen does next year because my gut tells me it it might actually even though I predicted a return to the four four two next year I think we might actually see something different and that's complete speculation on my part, I admit, but I'm optimistic that we might actually see something a little more progressive next year. That's all I have on the list for this week. You guys have anything else before we sign off? Nope. No, I think we, we and me in particular have said enough. Well put, Jason. Thank you all for listening through this quagmire that is Philip Buster, the Black and Red United podcast. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu, uh, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. Mostly when you're at the watch party this weekend for the MLS Cup final because you're going to a watch party, right? I'm going to a watch party. Uh, we're not doing a, a, a non-commentary this year like we've done in some years past. Instead, I'm going to a watch party with some friends uh, who are not fellow podcasters for once. <laughs> um, so when you're at that watch party, because you should go to one, uh, tell a friend about the podcast. Let them know that that there are people who, who talk about it uh, and who are even crazier than you are for MLS. Uh, we will talk to you real soon until then for Jason and Ben I'm Adam say goodbye Jason goodbye Jason goodbye Jason